Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the show today. The Doug Ford Show, the DOFO Show, returns today. Will more areas be placed into lockdown? A protest among small business owners and Jill Dunlop, the Associate Minister of Children and Women's Affairs for the province of Ontario, joins me. Let's get to it. Welcome to Friday. What a great day it is. We're heading into the weekend. At least I think we are. I'm checking the calendar. I don't know what day it is anymore. It's just an incredible sameness one day into another. It's just existential dread. It's the sameness of it all. It's Groundhog Day. It's never going to end. But nevertheless, there's hope. Yes. And it all begins on Tuesday. Till Tuesday, not just a great band from the 80s with Amy Mann. Till Tuesday is the name of what's going on in this province. We're waiting till Tuesday when the first of 6,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccine will begin to be administered. 6,000 doses, and they're going to split them in half. You got 3,000. Of course, remember, it's a two-step uh, process here, so they're going to inject uh, 3,000 people, and they're going to hold the other 3,000 doses back, and the, at least initially, if we get more, we may, you know, then be able to use those, but we got to hold 3,000 back, you see, so that people get that second dose. And later on today, at 3 o'clock, look at this, the DOFO show is back. Just one day, After I came on here on this radio station, on this program, and told you that the DOFO show is no mo. Because that's exactly what the word was from the Premier's office. No mo DOFO show. The 1 o'clock Doug Ford update, done. No more. But, of course, we have a big update today, so we have today on a very special DOFO show. I think this show this show has jumped a whole lot of sharks over the last eight months. And here's what's one thing. I don't know when this is you. I'm sure this is just me in the in the job I do, just immersed in news all day. But the one o'clock Doug Ford show, the Dovo show, it's like the hinge of my day. It's like my whole day is I, I work on this radio show, I come in on here, I talk for an hour, then I go and I watch the Dovo show, and then I prepare for the TV show at five thirty. And you take that out there. I'm, I'm lost. I'm adrift at sea. I don't know what to do. It's like I've just watched 15 seasons of show, some show on Netflix. Some, you know, I just, just mainlined it, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, now that's the end of that. We'll have to wait to see if there'll be a 16th season. I, I don't know what to do with myself. So, anyway, Dofo Show, 3 o'clock today. Uh, the big thing, I think, for a lot of people is, will York Region be tipped into lockdown? Here's your numbers. Here's your numbers, and again, let's not get too wrapped up in the daily case numbers. They don't mean a whole lot. Uh, 45 more deaths in the last 24 hours, and that number, again, continues to be high day in and day out. And this is this lagging indicator that we talk about. You know, you think, well, it's, the case numbers go up, the case numbers go up, but what does that really mean? Well, several weeks down the road, it ends up here with death numbers. The testing numbers... and I'm going to tell you this right now, right here, right now. You, I, I don't think you've probably heard it anywhere else, but this is going to be the big story going into the holiday season and into January. Look at our test numbers, 63,000. And you think to yourself, well, 
Holy smokes. <laughs> you know, fire off the fireworks. Hooray, 63,000. That's a great number. And absolutely, it is a great number. But the pending number has also gone up and surpassed it. It's at 69,000. And the problem here is if we have 69,000 tests pending, Pretty quickly, we can get to a point where the testing numbers is are just so out of whack, just so far behind when the tests were actually administered that the testing and tracing is meaningless by the time they get to it. And all of this is because they've changed now the requirements for kids. You know, if you got a kid going into the TDSB or going into the Peel Public uh, School Board, now if they have one thing, if they have one symptom, they have to stay home. If it's a runny nose, you're keeping the kid home, you're keeping their siblings home, you got to stay home. Everybody's home until they get a COVID test. And even then, you got to wait and get it cleared to get, before you can get your kid back in school. So that means all of a sudden there's a, a lot more demand on testing. You watch. You watch. Will we see lineups? Will lineups start showing up again outside of testing centers? Keep your eye on that. That is a developing story. Not enough is being paid attention to that. Here's your breakdown in terms of regions because this is important. Toronto 469, Peel 386. Obviously, those are two areas in lockdown. York 205, Windsor 106. On the DOFO show this afternoon, will we see York and Windsor tip into lockdown? That's something we're keeping an eye on. Now, let's get back to why is it that Doug Ford has scaled back on these one o'clocks. You would think in many ways, and I know Doug Ford doesn't, you know, do a one o'clock update just for journalists to be able to plan their day around. That's not the point. But the the daily updates have been very um, advantageous, shall we say, for the Doug Ford government and the PC brand. I mean, you know, Doug Ford tours around the province and he brings up the local MPP. It's always a PC MPP. We, we're not, we're even, when, even when Doug Ford went to Andrea Horvath's home riding, surprise, surprise, he didn't bring her on. <laughs> so it was a way to uh, showcase members of his own government, get his word out there, you know, absolute champions, bunch of yahoos, blah, 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 all of those things. So why is it that the Ford government has decided to step back. Well, here's a quote from Travis Can, who is Ford's director of communications. This is a quote that he gave the uh, CBC. Quote, absent a substantial and meaningful update, when all of the questions would be about vaccines, we don't want to put the premier in a position of leaving people asking for more information. Unquote. Absent a substantial and meaningful update. That has not stopped the Premier in the past from doing the 1 o'clock update. So I'm not sure what that is about. But the second part of this really uh, does ring true. When all of the questions would be about vaccines. Because we have seen this in the last fortnight or so, both in Ontario and federally, and pretty much right across the country. And it, it's, it goes as following. A politician holds a press conference, opens it up to questions. First question, when will the vaccine be here? How much of it will we be getting? Who are you going to vaccinate first? Answer, those are important questions. And that's the, that's, that just go on and say whatever they want. And I'll bring you a couple of peaches for that great, great question. I got a whole <laughs> basket of them. <laughs> oh, I could use some ripe fruit right about now. 
I tell you, because after I watch those COVID modeling updates, I I might I need might need to be a little more regular. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm clenched. I'm clenched. We had uh, two modeling updates in the last little while. Of course, we had the provincial uh, modeling update uh, yesterday. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But the uh, feds have dropped some sweet, sweet modeling this morning. Graphs, charts, oh, so good. Nobody with the pie chart, though. I Really, I think, really, whoever's making these graphs and charts... You are just doing us all a disfavor with not enough pie charts. Because pie charts, if you're going to pick a chart, the pie chart is the way to go. Here is what the feds have been saying, and I I take this from uh, Rachel Gilmore's tweets. Rachel Gilmore was on the radio program yesterday. She is a journalist in Ottawa with Global News. Here's what Rachel tweeted this morning. Uh, This is from the um, modeling from the feds. Hospitalizations are continuing to increase in most provinces. The average hospital stay for COVID-19 is 17 days or 24 days for those experiencing more severe illness. Critical care beds are at or near capacity in many areas. Parentheses, that is not, double exclamation mark, good, double exclamation mark, close Parentheses. Yeah, giving you, giving you all the context there. And then, how about this? Here's Patty Haidu. This is the federal minister of health. When she was asked about these reports that the NHL, the NHL is going to privately obtain its own vaccines so we can give 22-year-old millionaires vaccines so that they can go skate around and fire a puck at each other. Here is what the minister of health had to say about that. Well, I think you're putting words in my mouth, but what I would say is that we don't have any mechanisms to block corporations for purchasing on a private contractual basis with corporations around the world. Listen, this is, these are individual corporations that are selling to a variety of countries and selling to a variety of actors. I don't know the details of Pfizer's, for example, corporate contracts with other countries, but I will say this, anything the government of Canada procures for citizens will not be sold for a fee. Right. So if it's public money, that is not going to be going to the highest bidder. But if it's private money, I can't stop that. So, you know, if the NHL wants to use its own money to inoculate a bunch of 20-something millionaires, that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Man, I knew there was a reason I didn't like hockey. I mean, come on. It is ridiculous. Of course, I say that, and then the NBA will announce the same sort of thing, and I think I'll probably say, well, it's fine. I I like the NBA. But no, seriously? Come on. How's about that provincial update? Doc Williams has a question for you. Dr. Williams, of course, the uh, walking Mobius strip at the provincial government, who is the head uh, medical officer, the head medical official in the province of Ontario. And Doc Williams, he wants to know who you've been with. You should be able to say, I think the significant contacts I had in the last five to seven days are these. You should be able to know. And it surprised me that they don't. Yeah. He's surprised that you don't know who you've been with. I mean, that's kind of gross. Seriously, do you know who you've been with? 
Uh, let's get back to Dr. Williams. Remember we talked about Windsor, and I talked about the Windsor number, again, 106 on your case count in the last 24 hours, and there is a, a lot of thinking that today at 3 o'clock there will be an announcement that Windsor will go into gray and uh, into lockdown. Uh, yesterday we got the news that schools in the Windsor area will close as of Monday. They will go to virtual learning for the last four days next week. I think we have four days in many school boards. TDSB, I think, goes to goes to Friday's five days next week, but some are four days. Uh, so basically, you know, taking a, a pause. And our good doctor, Doc Williams. Doc, um, is that going to happen for the rest of us too? At this time, we're still holding to open school as usual. Uh, after we haven't put an extended, but we wait to be informed by the Ministry of Education, uh, by our data and information, by Toronto Public Health and by Peel to see where they stand. Because remember, they just lowered the uh, metric for uh, syndrome uh, with only one to get tested. So you want to see what is the impact of that as well. So there's a lot of things on the move. So it's it's week by week, and we'll probably we hope to give an update. Of course, we have to give an update. Um, beforehand so parents and school boards and teachers can uh, plan accordingly. Two weeks today is Christmas, Doc. I don't know if you've been looking at the calendar, but maybe you might want to get on that. You know, it's like, well, we're going to keep our eye on it, and we're going to think about maybe telling parents and school boards. I, well, I don't know. I just, I, I, the, the, the framework is a framework. Whatever. Of course, today we are going to find out about the potential of expansion of restrictions to other areas of the province at 3 o'clock today, the DOFO show at a very special time uh, when Doc Williams will be with him earlier today. Actually, probably as we speak, the cabinet is meeting to discuss a number of these things. And as that is happening underway in Toronto, along the Danforth, and in other parts of the province, there is protest underway by small business owners who say that the restrictions just simply don't make any sense. The restrictions on retail don't make any sense when large big box stores, multinationals can be open to sell whatever they want, and smaller stores can't do that. And does that make sense or not? Irina Rappaport is a small boutique owner on the Danforth, joins me on the line. Hi, Irina. Hey. Tell me about your store. I am a local uh, clothing and jewelry designer. I design and make everything that I sell. And I opened uh, last year, actually. Um, I've been here for just over a year. And tell me where your store is and what's it called? It's, uh, well, it's my name, Irina Rapaport, and uh, the, it's at 333 Danforth. And how have you been able to conduct business since the most recent lockdown in Toronto? Well, I haven't conducted any business unless I, I'm ready to go on the sidewalk, which I can't. Like all this curbside, it's impossible. I cannot sell designer clothing on the sidewalk. Right, so you, it, it's just not a possibility for you to put a rack of clothes out front and stand outside no, and say, it's anything not. you like. No, no, not if I respect my work. What would you like the Doug Ford government to do when it comes to restrictions for retail in the province of Ontario? So what I would like him to do is to let us go to the previous restrictions, which are okay with me. 
it was just fine and it worked for seven months. I never had more than two customers at a time in the store. The store is about 750 square feet. Um, we all wore masks. We, I had all the, you know, protocol in place. And uh, basically, I'm the living proof that uh, it works because I never got the virus. Um, the mayor was here and bought some masks from me, and he never got the, the virus. And what I think uh, Ford should do, I think they should uh, put in place a new ministry, and it should be named the Ministry of Common Sense. And, uh, you know, they should appoint someone who, who can look at all the facts and, and decide what makes sense and what doesn't, because this doesn't. Okay, Irina, I want to just take a moment here to tell you what I, what I, what I think that the the response to what you are saying would okay. be from the provincial government. I, I just okay. take the other side. Okay, just just let me do this. So, what they would tell you is okay. that by having increased economic activity and retail activity, you increase the the number of potential contacts that people might have. I appreciate that you're following all the rules and doing everything, but we already have a problem of increasing case counts. And so now we have a situation that is a problem on two fronts. One, that if someone does test positive for COVID and they have been able to go into a number of different stores, contact tracers then have to uh, contact all of those stores and have to try and figure out whether or not all of the protocols were indeed followed. And that is laborious and a problem. And the second part is that by telling people you can go to stores, it gives a signal for a greater relaxation of getting together and that that is a problem. I, I wonder how you would respond to those two Two points. I would respond that the relaxation is already there. All you have to do is look outside your window, as I'm doing here. And the traffic on Danforth is crazy. Like, where are all these people going? They are supposed to be in lockdown. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, second, uh, they locked us down for two weeks already, and they said the numbers will go down. Well, the numbers did not go down. So we are not to blame, we are not the danger, and we are being sacrificed here. I would, and, and again, I'm not arguing with you, but but I am I, I'm telling you what the modeling uh, information said yesterday, which is the following that although the numbers have not come down, they have leveled. We continue to remain in just shy of 2,000 cases a day. What the modeling said about four weeks ago is without increased restrictions like we've put in, we could be at 6,600 cases a day, a much higher. That would be our worst-case scenario. So we haven't gone to the worst-case scenario, so that even though the lockdowns have not been as effective as they were, let's say, in the spring, they have been some what effective in controlling the spread but you don't know that because the modeling uh, they did before was wrong and now the modeling might have been wrong again you don't know that and why do they why don't they have some economic experts look at this not just the health experts. Look at the economic side of this. This is like they are destroying the main street in Toronto. That's what they are doing.
Irina, do you have a, a sense of, you know, how much longer you can keep going if, if indeed we did sort of get a sense from the modeling yesterday that there's not going to be um, a change in lockdown for Toronto when it expires? I think, what is it, the 21st? It's scheduled to possibly expire, but it looks like it, it's going to be extended. No, it was extended yesterday. It was extended to January 20-something. My apologies, yes. That's yeah. true. So, no, I can't survive. I cannot. It's, it's not enough business. Like, I sell a mask a day or a scarf a day. It's just ridiculous. And online. The online is not strong either. I don't know about maybe other people are doing better online. Irina, I appreciate you calling in. Um, uh, all the very best to you. I, you know, I, I think everybody feels for small business owners, especially ones like yourself. They're just open, just trying to make a make a go of it. And I appreciate you calling in and sharing your story today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That is Irina Rappaport, who is a small business owner on the Danforth, talking about the fact that we need a ministry of common sense. So do we need to reopen small retail like that business owner you just heard from? Does it not make sense to you? Or the two points that I laid out to Irina, do those sway you? Which is one, contact tracing becomes more difficult. And two, it signals a greater openness in that that is a problem. One of the truisms of this pandemic is that crime has not gone away. Bad actors, bad people, bad things have not stopped happening just because we have a pandemic. I was speaking yesterday to a woman who runs a support network for victims of human trafficking, and she referred to it as a pandemic of abuse within the pandemic. The provincial government yesterday made an announcement trying to address that, announcing $46 million in an anti-human trafficking community support fund. On the line to help me talk about it and understand it is Jill Dunlop, who is the Associate Minister of Children and Women's Affairs with the provincial government. Welcome, Minister. Hi, Alan. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I was speaking to Kelly Franklin, who is with Courage uh, for Freedom. And what she told me, Minister, was that in the past, we have had a real focus on awareness and, you know, perhaps educating the public about the dangers of human trafficking. But prior to this, we we just didn't have enough money getting to these frontline organizations. How's your government tackling that? Well, this has been a priority item, um, not only for myself um, and my government, but for the for Premier Ford as well. And the, I spent the past year consulting with frontline workers, um, those with lived experience, and you know we really heard from those people uh, that we needed to have a strategy in place. And so we announced last November that we would have $20 million in annualized funding, and that's what those frontline workers were saying, is that we need to uh, know that there's going to be money coming in to each year to help us continue the services that we're doing. Um, But in March, we made uh, an announcement about a new anti-human trafficking strategy that was going to be $307 million over five years. And I'm very proud to be one of the co-leads to that strategy, along with the Solicitor General, uh, Sylvia Jones. And it really shows 
the the effect of the strategy that we're we're not only holding offenders accountable, but we're really providing the support there for the survivors and victims of human trafficking. Can you tell me somewhat about those supports and what you understand is needed? Well, from what we heard, it was um, the supports really need to be survivor-led and trauma-informed. And that was the, the goal of the Community Supports Fund as well as the Indigenous-led Initiatives Fund was to ensure that organizations who are doing work in this field um, really do have those, those skills and expertise to work with survivors and victims. And, you know, I want to thank uh, Kelly Franklin for, you know, the advocacy work that she does do in human trafficking. I've had the opportunity to work alongside her. She even uh, came up to Thunder Bay to one of our uh, roundtables at that time last year, and she's been a great advocate. In, in in Kelly's case, you know, I spoke to her on the phone yesterday. You know, she is a survivor herself, and you know, many of these frontline um, agencies are actually uh, led by by people who have survived it or have a real intimate knowledge of, of what uh, victims go through. And those are not always the same people that are good at applying for grants from the provincial government. How do you make sure that the money gets to the right people? Well, we had the you know an application process, and we really needed to ensure that the supports that are out there are uh, connected across the province, so that victims are able to access the services and supports that are are close to home for them. You know, this is a a, a terrible crime, and we look at the statistics: seventy five percent of those reported cases that are happening in Canada actually happen right here in Ontario to victims that are. Um, you know, the average age of recruitment being just um, 13 years old. But, you know, the project applications have received uh, strong evaluations um, needed to address funding priorities and, and meet criteria, criteria for the ones selected for funding. So yesterday we announced that um, an additional 27 selected projects um, that meet those key areas of survivor-led, um, Indigenous-specific, uh, as well as children and youth-specialized programs were the, the, uh, the ones we recently announced. What's your understanding of how the pandemic has impacted human trafficking in this province? Well, unfortunately, it is something that has still continued, even though uh, you know we've been dealing with a pandemic. And I think what's important is that um, you know we we're, we're seeing not necessarily an increase in the numbers of human trafficking, but I think what is also happening is we're seeing an increase in support. We're talking about it. We're educating the public, and we're providing those supports so that. Um, you know, those victims are, you know, understanding that there are supports there for them. And that's the difficulty in leaving trafficking is that when you're so dependent on your trafficker as well, um, it's really, you know, up to the government to, to step up and ensure that the funding is available to help the organizations who are um, supporting victims to, um, to be there. And, you know, we need to, to change that stigma. Um, the victims, survivors need to know that, um, those supports are there for them to come forward. Minister, thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Uh, an important update. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Alan. Have a great day. That is Jill Dunlop, who is the Associate Minister of Children and Women's Affairs here in the province of Ontario. And I would just like to extend a thank you to Kelly Franklin from Courage for Freedom for taking the time to talk to me yesterday uh, and to really give me some understanding and better appreciation of what's going on in this province. 
Coming up uh, in a short little while, of course, we're going to find out from Doug Ford about whether or not there will be increased lockdowns in the province of Ontario. Make sure you stay with us here on Global News Radio. We're going to carry that for you live at 3 o'clock. You know, here's something that I just did not see coming. There's a lot in 2020 that I did not see coming. Here's one thing I just absolutely did not see. I did not see that Taylor Swift would end up being my favorite indie artist of the year. I did not see that. Outrageous! It's what happened. I know, you're saying to me, Alan, why you, please, why are you talking about Taylor Swift? If I wanted to hear about Taylor Swift, I'd turn on a pop radio station, and I'd just get that audio bubble gum going through my head. Well, uh, let me bring you up to speed, folks. Because Taylor Swift, twice this year now, has dropped these kind of very intimate piano sort of, you know, quiet, introspective, isolation-sounding records. And she dropped another one, surprise one, uh, last night at midnight. And and, and if you know people in your life and you're just thinking, why do you have your headphones in and you refuse to acknowledge that I'm here and you put on a big sweater and keep hugging yourself and drinking tea. Well, that's probably because they're listening to the new Taylor Swift record. But one of the reasons I'm talking about this is there has been a real seismic shift in the way that artists release music. And Taylor Swift has now just jumped on this bandwagon that has really been pioneered by hip-hop artists. Drake especially did this. The more is more kind of theory here. But and keep in mind, you know, in years past, you would, you know, drop an album. I don't know why I keep saying drop. But you'd put an album out, uh, and, you know, people would pay, even online, they'd pay, you know, whatever it was, 12, 15 bucks, and they'd, they'd buy that. And whether it had 20 tracks or eight tracks on it, they still buy it. They still get, you still get the same amount of money. Well, now, of course, in the streaming environment, it's all about streams per music. So why don't you just put out an album with 47 tracks on it? I do it from scratch. And just do it, just just do it from scratch. Just make it in your basement. You, I mean, if you're an artist, you can't tour right now. So it's all about the streams, isn't it? So this is why Taylor Swift has now dropped two, count them, two, Indie-sounding records in, what has it been, two months, three months since Folklore dropped? dropped another one? Taylor Swift taking over the world. So that's what we got. That's, I just, I did not see that coming in 2020. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't. I did not predict it, that I would love Taylor Swift quite as much as I do. I, and I don't care who knows it. I don't care! Sorry, I get a bit shouty. Get a bit shouty with the Tay-Tay. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Alan Crowder Radio Program. We'll see you again on Monday. Please, please stay safe. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Crowder Show weekdays starting at noon.